Wait. You don't sound autistic. Well, uh, what does an autistic person Wait. sound like? You're autistic? Yeah, I'm telling you that. You don't even look autistic. But, but we're talking about... Yeah. But, but I don't buy it. But I, I was diagnosed with autism and ADHD and anxiety and depression. You don't sound autistic. Welcome back to another episode of You Don't Sound Autistic. I'm Blake. I'm Rochelle. And I'm autistic. And I'm not. We like to remind everyone to subscribe to the podcast on your preferred platform so you can be notified of the newest episodes when they're released. Also, be sure to join the Facebook group. Join the group. Join the conversation. That's You Don't Sound Autistic YDSA on Facebook. We like to welcome listeners from all over the United States and all over the world and the new people that have joined the Facebook group. Thank you so much for joining. And also remember to check out you don't sound autistic.com for episode show notes, links to reference materials in the episode posts. Check out the brain hugs of the shop to find the products we use to manage our daily lives. And for our new listeners, you Don't Sound Autistic is a mental and emotional health awareness podcast. Each week, we do our best to represent both neuroperspectives and talk about the continual discovery process of life on the spectrum. Our goal is to illuminate, uncover, and transparently discuss life with multi-diagnosis through a multi-generational neurodivergent lens. We follow an open, unscripted conversational format that represents the real-life back and forth of communication and collaboration. Even if you aren't raising the next generation, you'll find the comparison of the age groups helpful in seeing the more hidden patterns in the DNA of your lifestyle and lineage. Couldn't have said it better myself. Why, thank you. So I was thinking today that we would talk about... Um, Managing, have we done this? Managing meltdowns? Not necessarily. No, managing them, no. Rochelle is currently sitting on our treadmill and I'm having a really hard time not running over and turning it on. <laughs> I would definitely have a meltdown if you did that. Yeah. I'd probably freak out. Yes, that's not, that's, I've worked really hard to have a, a decent place to sit. We moved to the studio, um, so it's a new configuration. I used to sit basically in the front door. Right. Now you're sitting on a treadmill. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> you get the captain's seat at the computer. I'm just saying, you don't think that's kind of funny that you're sitting on a treadmill? Would you rather me be walking on it while we talk? Because I'm coordinated enough to do it, but I, I don't know that I could. D the background noise, I think, would be a problem. It's like playing with yourself when there's a naked lady around. Is it? Somewhat. Okay. Why I, do you want to be the naked lady? No, I trust you though. Okay. Definitely no, not on a treadmill. You don't trust me on a treadmill? I said definitely not on a treadmill. What? What? I don't want to be a naked lady on a treadmill. Oh, okay, fine. Teach their own. <laughs> um. So yeah, I was thinking. Did have we have we done that though? Have we talked about managing, managing them? No, no. We've talked a little bit about um, having different strategies in the toolbox um we've talked about the the differences in like when we all melt down like more about describing the situations that lead up to meltdown how to recognize it um but managing them we haven't done a deep dive on well i was thinking the way we can go between 
the generations, as you say, in your spiel in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And uh, how to manage meltdowns for young and old alike. I like that because it, it is very different. And there's um, there are some... I'm going to use the word cultural, but I mean it as much as I do like societal um, parameters around what's been trained and taught in terms of what's allowed when it comes to meltdowns. And I think those restrictions um, play more heavily in the older generations and, and kind of even into those in their 30s and 40s right now like that there's that bridge and then us as parents that uh, are working with our children and you know those parameters have changed a lot in the last 20 years and so those with current teenagers and all the way down to infants toddlers like what we have I think we're all experiencing some very different definitions of how of a what is a meltdown b how do you resolve it and it's a really cool topic you've picked for tonight because I think so many of us are having to deal with the concept of breaking these generational expectations um, and definitions of meltdowns in order to even uh, attempt to handle them. It is a cool topic. Thank you, me. <laughs> So let's start with the younger generation. Let's start with Declan, for instance. Okay. Um, so we had, you know, we just had Halloween, and he was a Halloweeny, little bit, yeah. Did not want to go out trick or treating, uh, for various reasons, and then he finally did, and he did great. But there was a meltdown before that. Actually, there was a meltdown that, that morning. morning. And it kind of started the night before, but I didn't, I didn't know that at the time. I just thought he was, I don't know. I didn't, he, so he picked his costume six weeks ago and we were kind of surprised by his costume selection because he didn't pick his favorite character of the TV show that he was um, dressing up as. He picked his second favorite character and we were like, huh, that's weird. So at the last minute, he wanted to be his first favorite character. And we were like, nobody, you already picked what you picked. And then the morning of just, like, we were half an hour late to school. And I had to text them and be like, yeah, we're in the middle of a meltdown. We'll be there when we can. Right. So how did we manage that? Well, so what happens a lot in meltdown, there's two parts to a meltdown as I understand it. Um, and you... Please jump in and I'll try. So the first part of the meltdown starts when you have an idea that becomes an, an expectation and then that you get fixated like that. Okay, we're doing that. I want that. And that that fixation becomes the um, sometimes the root of what ultimately becomes a meltdown because now you've created an expectation. That's what you want. You've communicated it. And any resistance that you get to that idea feels like conflict or it just feels overwhelming when you're starting to you're you're being told no or these reasons why that can't happen or you start even kind of reaching for that goal and things can become overstimulating really fast. And so things that can overstimulate you from that point forward are 
rejection, resistance, um, your own emotions to being told no, uh, or you start moving in that new direction and making a change that fast creates anxiety and overwhelm. And one starts with, what starts with fixation becomes a neurological overload where now you have too much going on in the in the moment to process through that sometimes it's a change but to process through that moment and so you just you just melt down your brain just like okay I'm you know it it kind of overheats and how that presents is really customized to each person whether you start stimming to try and um, like physically um, how do I say it so there's multiple ways to try and bring a central nervous system down and one of the ways is through physical touch and so sometimes if you're just too ramped up over something like a lot of times your own physical touch can help calm and soothe those emotional moments um it's something that we do in therapy a lot where we like encourage so if you're ever in a situation where someone is not is discouraging stimming um that's not that's not okay like in the middle of a meltdown I would encourage stemming um that self-stimulation because it is actually calming to the brain to be like okay there's a familiar touch that's a familiar touch I understand I know what's going to happen you know that feels safe and the safer because we're in the middle of a meltdown you're in you're in the peak of fight or flight like and in the peak of fight or flight your brain is sitting there analyzing everything as a threat and the fastest way to kind of tell your brain something like hey we need to downregulate so we can focus so we can kind of try and solve the problem is to find ways to communicate to your brain that something is not a threat physical touch can do that oftentimes that's where stimming comes from and it's it's encouraged like you want to do that and or rocking or flapping or anything like Declan will get um, upset where sometimes he kicks his legs at us like if he's sitting down he just kicks 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 or um, you know he he kind of tends to to take his fingers and brush down from his collarbone down and and all of those things can help um, sometimes going into a, a vocal pattern can help because again it's something it's a, it's a sensory input anytime that's a sensory input touch um, sound movement these are all ways to engage the central nervous system so that you can start to kind of regulate through the overstimulation that's happening and um, knowing that the first the first thing you need to know about a meltdown is that it's just neurological overwhelm you like raising your voice is not going to help adding to the sensory overload is problematic you're just going to make it worse that's just going to be seen to seen as a threat so you know the calmer you are the more you drop your stance and just sit down and become quiet and become still, you know, and, and bringing peace back into the moment, it removes the amount of stimuli that someone has to process, whether that's visual or auditory or turn the music off, like lower the lights. 
if you're in a public space and you can't do all of those things, then try and, you know, crouch down and limit your field of vision and just make the space get close. So um, there's a lot of different techniques that way, but melt. But the first and foremost, knowing that getting upset is only going to make a meltdown worse. You mean being upset as a parent? Or even at yourself. I mean, if you're melting down, if it's you and you're experiencing it and you're also some, like you can, if you're melting down and at the same time criticizing yourself for doing this and being like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm melting down. This is so stupid. I just, like, don't criticize yourself or get mad at yourself in the moment and add more to process. That's, that's self-punishment. Okay. I mean, can you think of a time that you've melted down and then immediately gotten mad at yourself for doing it? Nope. Always feel pretty good about myself. <laughs> well, I okay, so that's fair. I And to say, do you remember, is unfair of me. Let me just say that there were, there were nights that I, I promise you don't remember where you were melting down. Um, there were usually combinations of meltdown and burnout by that point. Like you were just... You were on burnout and then the meltdowns came pretty easily by Thursday and Friday night. And at the same time that you would realize that you were starting to melt down, you would instantly get angry at yourself and you're like, God damn it. You're just, just an idiot, Blake. Just pull it together, Blake. And you just scream at yourself. And that only made it worse because now you're adding this. Is that self-deprecation? I don't remember how it's like. No, I mean, I don't think it's self-deprecation. I think it's uh, it's like you're trying to wake yourself up from a nightmare. Oh, I hadn't thought about it like that. That's not what it looks like from, from the caregiver side. You're like, my caregiver? Well, in those moments, I mean, I'm trying to make sure that you don't hurt yourself or, you know, fall down the stairs or, you know, your coherence is not exactly always present during meltdowns so and sometimes you were at the top of stairs well you have to remember some of those times i was inebriated and that's not uncommon um for adults and unfortunately more teenagers than we probably have data on but as i understand it a fair amount of teenagers as well and so you when there's incoherence it's difficult to know is it just is it just neurological overwhelm or is there a substance involved that's making it worse? That's a good point. I don't think Declan was high or drunk. I don't think Declan was, no. No, in fact, Declan had actually just woken up from a very pleasant dream and we know this because he was laughing out loud in his dreams. That's right. He was laughing in his sleep. And we were like, oh, this is going to be a good morning. We're so excited to wake him up and say happy Halloween. He's been counting it down for six weeks. Not the case. Nope. No, he he threw us off. He definitely th- threw a threw us for a loop. Waking up and being all instantly angry. Yeah. Yeah. He was pissed. I want to be different costume. I want different costume. I even had to fake call the costume store. Just call the Halloween store, mom. We'll just go to I'm like you're supposed to be at school in 20 minutes. There's no they're they're not open. Like it it's Halloween morning. I fake called the Halloween store. Didn't buy it. 
he was like, okay, great. Well, let's go. If you're not, you know, in his mind, okay, they didn't answer the phone. Let's just go drive there. <laughs> like, oh God. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I'm trying to think of myself having any kind of meltdown as a kid. I, I think that's one of the reasons that I led to, uh, you know, maybe when I think about it, um, one of the reasons that I led to in self-inflicting pain on myself. Really? Yeah. I mean, you, I mean, I've told the story before, so I won't go into great detail, but uh, as far as the, you know, the, the first time where I went to therapy, you know, was at the, I was at daycare and no kids wanted to play with me cause there wasn't room for me. And so then I started choking myself and hitting myself and then that just became a running theme. Okay. I do remember that story and that's kind of where you ended up. Yeah. In, uh, talk therapy your first time. Yeah. Cause you were suicidal. I mean, I don't know if I was really suicidal, but that's what I was talking about. But at least the like in conversation, you would say, I just want to. I wish I was dead is what I would say. And that's not uncommon for kids when they're in an extreme overwhelm and don't have any other words to express how you're feeling. I mean, it's it's not uncommon for boys and girls um, in middle school age. To, I mean, that could easily start in middle school age. I've actually uh, talked to some parents who have experienced that with kids as young as five years old. That's scary. Just not having a vocabulary and not being able to identify what's happening is incredibly dysregulating all by itself, like without anything else. And to have someone, I, I, you know, asking you, how can I help? What's going on? What's going on? And you're not being able to, I mean, to, to give an answer is sometimes more disruptive because then you feel the pressure of trying to have this conversation and you can't. So sometimes inadvertently, like as parents, we could add this pressure and unintentionally make it worse, you know, because we're not understanding the emotional buildup and the, the, extreme nonverbal struggles just to articulate what they're thinking and feeling. I mean, if they had the words, if we had the words, you'd use them. Part of the struggle is you don't have the words. You don't think I had the words when I was like eight years old? What words would you have said? What words did you say? That I wish I wasn't alive anymore. Cause, but did you have the words, I'm feeling rejected? I mean, I don't know. I just, I explained why. Because there wasn't room for you. I mean, I'm not asking you to go back and recall, obviously, but I'm just saying we have, there. we didn't have, I empathize and I have no, I have no way to, to ever fully understand what that was like for you. I, I have oftentimes tried to put myself in that situation I have thought about myself in that situation and imagined how it would feel but that's as close as I can get but I can't imagine you had all the words for all the feelings I was so eloquent at that age <laughs> were you mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. 
It's probably too much for you to fathom. <laughs> probably is. I mean, one of the things I work with Declan's therapist on now, um, because his meltdowns are definitely better since changing schools, but they're not gone by any means. And he still can, at the moment's notice, break into really high voiced whining and crying over seemingly nothing, you know, like if he gets an idea and he's fixated on it and then we try and change it or not knowing that he's fixated on it, then we have an instant conflict and that conflict doesn't always lead to a meltdown, but it can escalate to one. Yeah. I mean, that's true. He has his moments. Yeah. Well, and sometimes the biggest conflict is him trying to reconcile what he wants to do versus what he can do versus what will allow him to do. And and those often fit in three completely different buckets. And that's not isolated to a toddler, right? That applies to all age groups. What you want to do, what you can do, and then what you are allowed to do. And it could be any one person, place, or thing that prevents you from doing what it is you want to do. So that's that's a formula that can repeat itself quite frequently, especially as life becomes more and more complex. Like right now, there's a finite number of things that can trip him up in those three categories. But um, you start aging and you start getting into, you know, the school settings where you have um, first grade, second grade, all the social the social interactions of starting school and then you get into middle school and the academics get a little bit harder and the social relationships get more complex and then hormones kick in and That's right people start fingering each other that young in middle school yeah yeah really oh dude i remember being in middle school and and some guy talking about taking a pencil what in gym class and like putting it in a girl oh that's not cool no, no, no. I also remember like thinking that people that smoked pot were older. Yeah. And people would smoke weed all the time. We're like seventh and eighth grade. What? People were smoking weed on campus. Oh yeah. Oh my god. Like during uh during like, like PE? No. Well, maybe during PE, but definitely during lunch. They would go and they would like hide out by the back fences and smoke pot. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I didn't experience any of that. I mean, I, I, in this regard, I was completely raised under a rock and I guess in some, and sheltered. And I didn't realize that how protective that was. I mean, I didn't feel like it was protective when I became an adult and realized how vulnerable I was and how little I knew about the world. But I definitely had no idea it started that young. Oh, yeah, for sure. Access, and I'm sure it's even, it definitely hasn't changed. I'm sure that's still the case now, if not younger. Man, that's scary. Great. So you don't even have to try and find the words. You just go find the cool kids that have all the contraband that makes you feel even cooler because you're doing something you're not supposed to do. And (laughs) wow. Okay. Well, I need to dig into that then, teenage substance abuse, because I didn't realize that was a thing. I need to find out more about that. Good thing he's not a teenager yet. No, but we have listeners with with teenage kids, so oh, right. I def I I'll, beware. beware. Yeah, I'll learn more for you guys. I'll learn more. Wow. 
Yeah, I'm not surprised now that you say that. I mean, it makes logical sense. I mean, I remember the first time I ever tried weed was that I found my mom's stash. She had it hidden under the couch. Under the couch? Yeah, in like a little wooden box. Oh, sure. And uh, um, so my cousin, my older cousin came over and we smoked a joint in the backyard when I was like 13. 13? Yeah. Oh my goodness. But I don't think, I rolled the joint, so I don't know if it was any good. <laughs> it's probably all the just like sticks and but stuff. But yeah, I mean, I I remember smoking it and, and not feeling high at all. Uh-huh. And just being like, oh, this is kind of stupid. It wasn't until I was like in my 20s that I got high. And then I was like, holy shit, this stuff is real. No, maybe I wasn't in my 20s. Maybe I was like 18. But where was the moment with the inhaler? How old were you then? 15. So in between the two experiences? Yes. Okay. That's interesting. Well, not everyone's mom has weed around. Like my parents didn't even drink coffee. I was a rebel at 16 for drinking coffee. Like because weed would take these enormously long. You're you're an anomaly. I think most people's moms have weed around. Okay. Well, that may be true, but, but my parents didn't. And so when I, when we were taking piano lessons at a, we were... There were four of us in piano lessons at any given time, which means we were stuck in this place for, for an hour and a half with nothing to do, this big piano store. 30 minutes of it was our lesson. The other hour and a half, we had to entertain ourselves while the rest of my siblings had their lessons. They had a little coffee machine for the employees and powdered coffee creamer, and I was cold all the time in that. So I learned to drink coffee, and the I was breaking all the rules with drinking coffee. And then when... We moved piano lessons to my teacher's house. She would give me coffee. And that was like, oh, my God, the biggest. I don't even know how to say it. Like, we wouldn't even admit it to my mom. I mean, it was a big deal. I was drinking coffee. It's nothing. It's absolutely nothing compared to what we're talking about here. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to get in trouble. What's funny? I would never lower myself to drink coffee. (laughs) Snob. But I would smoke weed and drink. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Well, and so do you feel like the substances made the meltdowns less? Like, do you think it helped? No. Um, I mean, I think that alcohol was probably a major proponent of making meltdowns worse. I don't know if weed really was because I always felt like if it was just weed, it would I'd be pretty mellow. You, Especially edibles. Well, I don't know. Did you ever just have weed or did you always mix the two? Um, I often mix the two. So I don't know because I know that... Usually weed just makes me sleepy. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, really, I wish I had known what one was without the other because I didn't really see much of a difference. But if you always kind of had the background of alcohol, then that would explain the patterns I saw. I was always hopeful because CBD has so many health properties and it's very anti-inflammatory and and it can help. I mean, we we use we utilize CBD in the natural health profession and it can be so beneficial. I mean, I've got multiple clients that use utilize medical CBD for migraines and I mean severe like thirty year migraines. Um. And you would hope, I would hope that the inflammatory properties of true CBD would be helpful in a situation like that. But I, I don't believe THC has the same 
universal benefits and there's um there's a chance that it's always worse and anything edible is always going to have a bigger impact on the body than anything that you inhale because it goes through the bloodstream and it's a longer high and it's more volatile all the way around but cbd being the medical part of it um it comes in drops which can be very helpful um i know some of my clients use utilize that for their parents with Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. Like it helps with the dyskinesia, the, you know, the shaking, you know, the uncontrollable shaking. Right. Um, high dose CBD drops definitely do reduce. I mean, I don't know if it's universal. I'm not making a universal medical health statement here. I'm just saying my clients experience with their parents and their loved ones is that it has helped to calm the body down from, involuntary nerve responses that result in involuntary movements and there's a lot of correlation between involuntary nerve and movements um, during a meltdown so managing meltdowns I don't know I think if there's any substance that I know from a medical health benefit stance might be pure CBD but I don't. Uh, I also believe strongly in the B vitamins in helping to calm you down neurologically, primarily because B vitamins are such a key component in 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 um, producing neurotransmitters like the GABA. Um, GABA and it's gamma albura. Go ahead. I'll have to look up, but G A B A is the natural form. And if you're on prescription medication, I don't believe these things cross over. If you're taking a more natural approach, I think you can reach into this, but this is anything that where you're taking supplements all needs to be reviewed with your doctor. I, I'm, I am not, um, I'm not saying things unilaterally, like these all need to be reviewed because every single person's medical history is very specific and unique. I'm just speaking generally about product knowledge for these particular ingredients, GABA, on its own is one of our natural neurotransmitters and it's a way that our brain um, calms itself down. So we are supposed to naturally produce GABA. B vitamins are required by the brain in order to do that. And um, some people that are on a more homeopathic or natural regimen can benefit from taking GABA, but that also requires... um, you know, the B vitamins. So sometimes when Declan is in a meltdown, I do give him um, a B vitamin drink. And I have found that I like Axio the best. They have a decaf version. And he, he can ask for it if we're out somewhere and he's really kind of agitated. He'll ask for, I need my Axio. And we'll mix it up for him in a glass of water, uh, comes in a couple different flavors and he'll drink it and it'll just calm him down. And it's because his body at that point is able to utilize the B vitamins to make his own neurotransmitters and calm himself down. Um, And that's beneficial. So knowing which uh, foods, knowing what you can do, like what you can take that's helpful. It's a very individual response, but getting nutrients um, into the body may help during a a meltdown because it is so, you know, neurological and biological at that point, but also being able to control your environment or limit the stimulus in your environment. 
Do you remember when we went out for Father's Day? Which Father's Day? Uh, this last one, where we went to the barbecue place. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do. Do you remember um, how much of a little shit he was? <laughs> Me or Declan? No, you were fine. We were, there's a lawn, we were in downtown Alpharetta, and there's a lawn there, and we were having oh, a good right. time playing. And we made the mistake of not prepping him for the fact that we were waiting for our table. And so we didn't, it's called priming, but we didn't prime him. We didn't say, hey, buddy, when, when the phone rings, you know, when they text us, we're going to leave here and we're going to go get our table. We're going to walk across the street and go get our table. We didn't tell him. So we knew it. We knew what we were waiting for. And when it all happened and we pivoted, he was very confused and it conflicted with his expectations. And we basically had to drag him across the street, you know, and he sat, he tried to sit on the, on the street in the walkway, like in front of the cars. Right. I remember. Yep. That was a fun meltdown. And then we couldn't get him in the restaurant because he just wanted to sit on the sidewalk and prevent us from going in because he was trying to change our minds to go back to the lawn. Right. And I don't remember how that ended. I think I went in and got the table and somehow you got him to come in. Yep, I'm the hero here. Do you remember how you did it? I grabbed him and I was like, listen, you little shit. <laughs> no, you didn't. No, I didn't. <laughs> I'm like, that's not you. What did you do? No, I, I just, I always get down. I remember, this is so stupid, but I remember watching some footage or like a video or, well, that, that would be footage. Or a photo of um, Prince, what's his name? Who's the guy that just became king? Prince Charles. Okay, who's his son? Well, he has two. He has Harry and William. William's the oldest. So William's the one that's going to be king. Yes. And he's married to Penelope? Kate. He's married to Kate. That's what I meant. He's married to Kate. Um. They, the Kate and William were talking to their kids and they mm -hmm. would like kneel down to talk to them. Right. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And I read something about it afterward and it was like, oh yeah, it's like a really good way to get to their level so they know that you're trying to communicate with them in an effective way. Mm -hmm. And so from then on, like if you notice when I talk to Declan, mm -hmm. I almost always... Get down, get down and talk to him. Yep. And I do that. When he's in a meltdown, I just stop what I'm doing and I just sit on the floor. Like wherever we are, I just sit on the ground. Because then I, I'm i no longer taller than him. I'm, I'm at his level. And usually what he does is he walks over and he just collapses in my lap. And then... Can Who wouldn't? <laughs> Thank you. But it just, it just takes that pressure of... I don't know whether it's the the differential of the expectation parent child or it just deescalates that I don't know what the the power struggle, you know? Okay. Getting down on their level. You know, it's it for, first of all, it's visually it visually reduces everything they have to look at. They don't have to look up you know, and look around and all these things getting down to their level. So it, it, it limits the visual field, which automatically reduces the stimuli going into the brain. So that's helpful. But then it also just emotionally, it, you just feel one to one. 
you know, you like, like I have your full attention. So if I'm the one freaking out and you come over and you sit with me wherever I'm at, I'm like, okay, I have, he's, he's fully connected to me in this moment. Like you, it just makes you feel safe. Well, I think that's what I did. I think I, I got down to his level and when, you know, going back to the restaurant on father's day and I was just like, Hey man, you know, we need to, uh, we're going to go eat. You know, I'm sorry that, you know, we didn't prepare you better for this, but we need to get up off the ground. It's not safe. We're too close to the road. Mm -hmm. Mom's inside getting us a chair. I mean, I don't remember exactly what I'm saying. I'm making it sound way easier than it really was because he was freaking out. But I think more than anything, I was like, it's like, if you ever want to see your mother again. (laughs) Sure. Get inside that building. Get inside that building or we'll never see her again. And then he was like, no. (laughs) because <laughs> sometimes you got to do what you got to do <laughs> um and he did he walked right in like there was tears in his eyes but he stood up straight and he walked in and found us and then the restaurant was really loud yeah. we didn't know that it was our first time being there so at that point he didn't like the table we were assigned so he had trouble getting into the booth because he didn't he wanted the the one behind us and i couldn't get him in until i could distract him with the pictures on the wall and change his were they naked ladies no they were pictures of chickens with big titties with feathers oh and large breasts <laughs> i'm sure there were but not the kind he could identify i'm just kidding so he when he got when he could fixate his mind on oh look at the chicken mom oh the chicken oh okay i'll sit here but then the very next thing was i want my axio so, you know, he could, I think the, at that point, the Axio helped him. We had water ready and the waiter was very kind and helpful. And at that point he utilized the Axio to nutritionally help his body deal with all the sound and the, you know, large number of moving people and all the things. So managing meltdowns, we know that they're, Sometimes you just have to let them run their course, too. That is incredibly true. The, well, but the, see, that's where I go back to saying caregiver, because even if you're talking about a spouse, letting a, a, a meltdown run its course, it, to me, it always felt kind of like, almost like a seizure. Like, it's not something you have control over stopping, right? You can't just snap out of a meltdown. Right. And in a seizure, I don't know how much experience you have with those, but I I was doing a lot of work with seizure patients at one point. And you have to know the protocol to make sure like they don't bite their tongue and that they don't choke and they don't aspirate. And so you really have to just make sure that that they're safe in that moment and that you're taking all these precautions to put them in safe positions and that you're and that you do just have to let some of that run its course. So it did remind me of that a lot. Um back in the day not so much I guess now because Declan doesn't have his aren't that severe but that's not to say that that's that that's the same for everyone you know every meltdowns can be they're very much on the spectrum as well in terms of gradient meaning there's there's no one way to define a meltdown there's no one level there's no way you know like it's just it's it's always going to be different the intensity could be could be could vary greatly um 
from person to person or from each person from experience to experience. Right. So, and it's not just even, you know, autism and ADHD, um, anxiety and depression. This is also very true for those with Tourette's or vocal or motor tics. I mean, those are involuntary uh, nerve responses also, gross motor responses. Um, Most people don't, the, the whole nature of those is you don't have control over those either. And a lot of times um, those can be very difficult to support and to know how to work with. And that those can lead to high stress and meltdown in, in moments because you want to control them and stop them, but your body's doing something different. So, um, you know, there's, I think the biggest tool to take into meltdowns is, is empathy and compassion and patience. And, um, just unconditional love, honestly, as corny as that sounds. It's very corny, but it's so true. It's like my poop earlier tonight. Oh, come on. You had to take it there. It's very corny. I said something beautiful, like unconditional love. And what's you just, nothing, what's not beautiful about something no, that no, comes no, out no, of no, my no, butthole? No, 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 I don't want to hear it. Um, how, when you, so you deal with anxiety a lot. Does his meltdowns trigger your anxiety? Not usually. I'm pretty chill when it comes to him, I think. You are. I'm, you know, I feel like I, I try to, I don't know why, for some reason, I just feel like I'm able to kind of give my focus to him. Um. Is it compassion? Like, you know where he's at, probably better than, way better than I do. I mean, maybe that's what it is. I just think that part of me knows in the back of my head that I don't feel like my dad was ever truly there for me in the way that I needed him to be. Like, my brother and I talk all the time about how my dad would respond to certain things. And, like, my brother was talking about, uh, I was, you know, like Declan, for instance, not wanting to eat something, mm-hmm. you know, and, and my brother said when he was seven that, you know, and I'm making up exactly what they were eating, but let's say it was like clam chowder. My dad made clam chowder. Okay. And my brother's like, well, I don't want it. And he's like, well, don't fucking eat it then. And then took the bowl of clam chowder and like threw it across the room. Oh, wow. And then made my brother clean it up. That's extreme. That's, now was that there was, my dad. was there alcohol involved in your dad's dinner as well? I mean, I, you'd have to ask him, and he's dead. Dude, was your understanding that there was usually alcohol involved in that? I don't know. Okay. I, I just mean, know that's that just that's just who he was. That's just a severe anger response. Yeah. I mean, that's just that's just the dude, the kind of dude he was, though. Wow. Okay. I'm sorry. Well, I we don't recommend that. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. I was just I was just saying. Like in in comparison to, well, no, I'm you talk saying- about the generations. Like you know, you figure like if that's what my dad was like, and now I'm just like Declan doesn't want to eat something, and like I'll get annoyed. But no, you just leave it on the table, which it's is like, perfect. All right, well, then don't eat. Intuitively, that's as mean as I get. Is I'm just like, well, then this is what we're. This is what we're eating, and if you don't want to eat, you won't eat, and then he'll come back, and he'll pick at it, and he'll eventually eat it. Right, and so kudos to you that you just have the intuition to just let it be there, because sometimes 
Sometimes it's not that he doesn't want to eat it. Sometimes he just doesn't want to eat it right then. Yeah, but he's but he's like, oh, it's yucky. I don't like it. Yeah. Yep. Because if you stuck if 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 regular food tasted like chocolate, then he'd eat the whole thing. Yep. Uh, I mean, he goes back and forth with surrendering versus demanding control, right? And food is one of those hot button topics um, that can create meltdowns because sometimes he can be really fixated on what he's willing to eat. And oftentimes he just doesn't like food the same way you do. Like his sensory experience is different when it comes to like acid or... Like lemon juice and vinegar, he doesn't like it. Um, you do. So there's a conflict there. He doesn't like spicy and you do. And so um, you know, he doesn't have the words to tell you those kinds of things. But like his sensory experience with food is is sometimes completely opposite. So um, I imagine because there's always a sensory experience that is so innate like it's just so part of who you are that it's not always something that you think to speak about it's just easier to be like I don't like it it's not it's not common to be like I don't like it because it's vinegary or I don't like it because it's got lemon like he doesn't know that it's lemon you know like I just I just don't like it that's all so you you don't end up getting a ton of detail right and I don't think that changes I mean I think I think at least in my experience through the generations, I, I can take that concept all the way up to a 60-year-old and I can relate multiple experiences where I get the same crappy partial feedback that doesn't give me anything to work with and it's just this emotional retort and rejection of, well, I don't like that. And that doesn't feel good. Or I don't like that. I did it, you know, and it's just this snappy response and it doesn't give me anything of content that I can work with to make any changes to rectify the situation. And so then if I push, it just becomes this bigger issue. And I think meltdowns in the older generations aren't the way we would define meltdowns for the younger generations. I don't think they actually go all the way to meltdown status. I think they... Oh, they do. Am I... Really? You don't think you've ever seen me had a meltdown? I meant the generation above you. Okay. I've seen you melt down considerably, but I'm thinking of like those... I'm thinking of like my mom's generation. They melt down too. But theirs don't look... I'm saying their meltdowns don't look like Declan's and they didn't even look like yours. Like their, their meltdowns I've seen in that generation... They look like anger fits. They look like, like, like someone just being angry and, you know, it's almost like verbal ranting, you know, and just this repetitive anger fit. And it's usually coupled with some sort of anxiety and fear, but that can't be articulated all wrapped up into one. And so it can be difficult to unravel, but it's more intellectual. It's more emotional. It's less, um, I mean, I don't know. I guess it's different for everyone, but for what I've seen, it's, it's less about a, like neurological overload and more about emotional overload. That's okay. You know, like, because I don't believe 
and believe me, our our listeners in this age group, I would love your comments on this topic. Um, and what your experience? Join the Facebook group. Join the conversation. Because my experience here is that because there was so little emotional intelligence, and not to put that down, but just there was so little emotional conversation, right? Emotional acknowledgement even was so limited that when you have all these feelings bubbling up and especially when they're anxious feelings or you're feeling fear and then what you're reaching for is control over something and you're getting really demanding and and you can almost loop with your demands and so what it ends up feeling like in my experiences is just a repetition of demands until you get what you want like I want this and I want this and remember this and I want that and needs to be like this and and then you just loop and loop and loop whatever the offense was whatever someone said that pissed you off whatever wasn't fair whatever was done wrong whatever someone else didn't do like or broke a rule um that this just gets inflamed and engrandized and repeated over and over without resolution and it even though they may be shorter bursts they just seem to not resolve and they come back more and more and it ends up being the same story you hear over and over and it just gets worse so to me that's what the, if you were to use the word meltdown in those situations, it's not as severe, but it definitely lasts longer, right? And it seems to be triggered by far more little things. Whereas Declan, it's just like I had, the younger you get, if you change expectations, that can trigger it. Um, and in the older generations, yes, you have an expectation that like the rules are going to be followed or that everyone's going to do the same thing or that the standard you hold yourself to is going to be the standard everyone else holds themselves to. And when someone doesn't and they don't get caught or they don't get reprimanded or, you know, they don't have the same consequences that you believe they should have, then that becomes a trigger. And those triggers just seem to get more sensitive and they seem to get bigger and they seem to become more integrated in all the stories. And so before you know it, the same trigger has wound up presenting itself in like three different stories that are all similar but different because it's really stemming from unrecognized, unnamed, unvalidated almost invalidated emotional responses so to put that in comparison it's almost you know an emotional dysregulation on one end and on the other it's more of a neurological overload dysregulation that is worsened by emotions that are unprocessed but you know there's also a factor about which parts of the brain develop and we know that for those under 21 um, we know parts of the brain in the prefrontal cortex which does a lot of the reasoning and thinking isn't fully developed so you know that that alone changes the dynamic of understanding meltdowns and how they present and how you can best resolve them. Um, it took me a long time 
to learn how to listen to the, um, what I would call more of a, I don't know if meltdown is really the right word, but for consistency, we'll, we'll say that in, in the, the older generations where there's so much more conversational skills. It, I finally started learning how to ask questions that I always hoped would prompt more of that kind of internal recognition of their own emotions. And sometimes it would, and sometimes it wouldn't. And then I just learned to be more direct and just straight up ask the question, like, what were you feeling in that moment that you didn't or couldn't express? And being able to ask that question, because you can't ask that question to a three-year-old. Sometimes you can't even ask that question to a 13-year-old or a 23-year-old because, you know, just where we are developmentally in all of these areas of life. But you can as we get older. I mean, I couldn't necessarily ask you that question in your 30s, early 30s, but I can definitely ask you that question now that you've kind of made it through some of these processes. I can directly ask you, what were you feeling in that moment that you couldn't, like what, what were you feeling that you're trying to express? And you've been able to come back to me recently and say, like you remember two nights ago when I was asking you about the resourcefulness we were having these conversations and I was like, where did your resourcefulness go? And yes, I remember this. You came back. Made me feel great. I didn't mean to, I wasn't trying to. My intention for the conversation was different than how you were taking it. But because I asked the question, you were able to come back and actually answer it. And, and what did I say? You said that it wasn't a matter of resourcefulness. It was a matter of self-esteem which is not something I had ever considered. It's true. You want me to elaborate? I do. What were we talking about? Well, just being able to emotionally, being able to communicate about the emotions that you're actually experiencing, which I think you can do in the older generations, but not the younger ones. I don't honestly remember what I did say. You said that just that, that it was a matter of self-esteem and not not resource, not brain resourcefulness. Okay, well then I guess I've already said it best. Well, no, you did, but, the, but you didn't always have the ability to tell me what it was that you were feeling. You do now. That's what I'm saying. Now I could ask you a question like that. Well, how resourceful am I now then? <laughs> Fair viewpoint. Fair point. So... Because sometimes we ask, like sometimes you'll ask Declan the questions and he doesn't have a response for you. I know. He just says, I don't know. Right. And from a brain development standpoint, that's valid because some of those questions require age. And not everyone develops at the same time anyway. So knowing which questions you can ask is one of the biggest things I've had to learn through the process of managing meltdowns through the generations. Okay. Sorry, I'm not very talkative tonight. No, it's okay. I'm I feel like I've way over talked, so I'm I've given you everything that I can think of um in terms of helping to manage meltdowns at least from my perspective, which has always been the caregiver um and then 
my own, I don't think I, I don't think I've really ever melted down. So I, I'm not, I don't feel adequate to respond in that way. I, I can panic. I can totally panic. I know what that feels like, but I don't think that is nearly, um, equitable to a meltdown. I mean, I think one of the things that's important is to, when you're around people you care about is for them to know that you might melt down and to give them a warning. That's a fair statement, yeah. So that they know how to help you when you are melting down. A lot of times the best way to help you is to leave you alone. So it goes back to kind of that safe word thing. So instead, because when you didn't know how to... Pickle fucker. I hate that word. Because that's an easy way to start a fight inadvertently is if you don't tell somebody that you're melting down and the other person just feels attacked, then it's easy to start a fight and then you just keep going and it makes it worse. And then you say pickle fucker and you're like, oh, I need to take a step back. He's having a meltdown. (laughs) Right. That's helpful. Well, there you go. There's There's the safe word. Everyone's welcome to use it. That's how you manage a meltdown. Okay. Have your child say pickle fucker. No, you got to put an age limit on that. That's not age. Have your four-year-old or above no. say pickle fucker. No, and then what, when the principal calls saying, why is why is your child telling everyone pickle fucker? That you go, well, no, he- well, you, you, you tell them to count backwards from 10 and tell everyone in the room, I'm having a meltdown because that's how calm people are. <laughs> and if you don't, I will be saying PF. Okay. Well, so what you just said is really interesting. Teaching, you're saying make sure to teach either yourself or your loved one that they're having a meltdown. Give them the words, hey, this is a meltdown, so that then they can share that knowledge with someone else. Like, Well, I'm just saying that a lot of times when we have meltdowns, it's, it's around the people we're closest to. Oh, that's true. But... Does that mean that you, so what happens when you're out in like public or you're out at work or you're in, do you, do you not, do you avoid melting down? Like, does it build up on you till you get home? I think, yeah, I think it builds up. I mean, that's how it is for me. I don't know how it is for everyone else, but I, I kind of hold it in and then I can finally go like, ah, I can, I can be myself again and not be in public and have some massive meltdown. As an adult. But does that mean that your meltdown is worse if you let it accumulate? Maybe. Okay. That's all very helpful. I mean, it's good to know. You're welcome. Thank you. Um, Do you remember having meltdowns as a teenager? Oh, yeah. I mean, I used to, if you think they're bad now, imagine how bad they were when I was all fired up and not getting laid. Hormonal. What would you do? Like what were your months? Do you remember what they were like? Oh yeah, I would just like punch the ground or, um, like mostly like fall to my knees and hit the ground. Like I remember being on the steps once when I was like eighteen or nineteen, and I was living with my mom again, which was horrible. Mm-hmm. Maybe I was like twenty. I don't know. And my mom would just nag me about vacuuming the stairs. So that's that repetitive loop I was talking about. That doing, yeah, that same, now that's not necessarily. I want the stairs to look nice. And then she would get in my face about it. And then I would just be like, I don't, I don't remember. It's been a while. Um, But yeah, I would, I would like 
hit the stairs or like ball up my fist and like hit the stairs as hard as I could until I kind of got all my energy out. So there was a physical component to it because the yeah, for sure. your nerves were in rage, like literal rage, not just the feeling, but also like the physical. Yeah, like, it, yeah, because it encompasses your entire being. Well, and the amygdala tells your body to fight a tiger. I mean, that's the whole point. Fight or flight. You know, if you go into freeze, that's different. But if you go into the actual fight or f- or flight, running away or hitting, I mean, that's what you're you're hitting the stairs. You're fighting a tiger. You know, like your body's geared up for that. That's why your digestion stops in the middle of fight or flight. All the blood that would be used for digestion rushes to your limbs so that you literally have the muscular energy and blood flow to run away or fight the damn thing because your life is on the line. And in that moment, even though she's going after her stairs, your mother became the tiger and she probably looped it because she wasn't getting what she wanted. Clean the, you know, and and then just waving her finger in the air and and telling you all the reasons why you were wrong or you were being ungrateful or you were not being responsible or started, you know, attacking you as a person, not to be mean, but to get what, you know, parents are like, you need to do what I'm telling you to do. Like we have a vernacular that's not always, I hope we don't, but as parents, we've been basically taught to um, demand from our kids compliance and there's no shared control in that experience. It's compliance and how I, I don't, (laughs) one thing I know about us as a neurodivergent population is we do not appreciate being forced into compliance. Like that is not, that's very uncomfortable. So you would fight back. Even though it's vacuuming the stairs. It could have also been like the third time she told you to re- re-wash a dish. I remember hearing those stories also. Yeah, that was always fun. So it's the same thing, right? It's 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 the triggered by that forced compliance. I mean, compliance is usually forced. But that demanding parental power that just makes you feel powerless and forced to do things you don't want to do not like any teenager wants to do chores or any adult for that matter wants to do chores but that feeling forced part of it is uh, probably a likely component right i think so yeah any advice for us there i pretended like i was listening but i wasn't what (laughs) any advice on how to deal with moments where you need to you need to demand compliance, but not in a way that triggers the response you're going to get from feeling forced. That I'm that I'm going to feel from being forced. So I'm just saying for other people, like we're trying to facilitate conversations for other people as well. And right. so if Like, how do you, what do you, when I'm pushing you to do something you don't want to do, what is it that you want to say to me that you don't always? Like, how do you really want to respond to me? Suck my dick. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Well, that's not going to get you the response you want. But what, but like, what is it you're, like, what is it you really want to tell me? Like, back off, bitch. Like, what do you want to, when I'm like, hey, I really need you to do this thing and I'm in direct conflict with your timing or your need to downregulate or something like. 
Yeah. I my first thought is I don't want to do it, but my mom told me to say yes, dear. <laughs> okay. Not everyone can do that. It's though. been working out. Yeah, lately. Um true, but that's not always like not everyone can just say that. Not everyone can get to that. Like how do you actually have a a conversation where you're How do com- I have the capacity to say yes, dear? No, how do you have the capacity to come back and advocate for your needs, right, while negotiating with me when I think something has to be done at a certain time? Like, how do you come back and have that conversation to avoid a meltdown? Like, I have no, I don't know. It's not very helpful, is it? No, I I was asking you because I thought you, so you're just intuitively then? telling me like hey i can't do that right now but i can do it in 20 minutes because that's what you tell me it's maybe it's because i know that i need time to myself Mm -hmm. and i need to like mentally prepare myself so it's like if i'm wanting to do something else or if i had not planned on doing something and you're like i need you to do this it's like okay well like give me a minute oh so give me a minute isn't that you're stalling on me which is how it feels what you're saying is okay i can add that into my plans that's unexpected but if you give me a chance to think about it and prepare for it yes thank you for sharing that i had no idea i had no idea well that explains priming yep i'm priming myself little fit b Wow. Okay, that's huge. I really appreciate that. I, I had no idea. Yep. Well, okay. I bet that's true for every age group then. It must be. Okay. Wow. Well, I I I am all talked out. I've Are you ready for news minute? I am. What do you all got? Right. Rochelle, I have a question for you. Uh-oh. Which seat do you prefer on an airplane? Aisle, window, or middle? Am I traveling alone? Aisle, window, or middle? How long is the flight? It depends. I don't have an answer. It depends on those factors. I think I would always... Just answer the question. You're making this way too complicated. Aisle, window, or middle? Aisle. Okay. That's not true. I want the window. Well, you might change your mind after you hear this. Virgin Australia is doing a little thing... Uh, things a little bit differently these days. Okay. They're offering a lottery for those who choose or get stuck in the middle seat. What? You simply use the airline's app and enroll in the lottery if you have a middle seat. Each week, a new prize will be awarded, and prizes include a full-day helicopter pub crawl, a two-night holiday, including flights, accommodations, and a bungee jump. What? They're also offering tickets to Australian football games, frequent flyer points, and more. Would you sit in the middle seat for a chance to get some kind of reward? If I'm traveling alone? One user stated that nothing could ever get them to sit in the middle seat. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) But yeah, that's interesting, right? It is. They're trying to... uh, Trying to motivate. Motivate people to take that middle seat. Wow. Do they have flights where that's an option? Like I, most of the flights I've been on, it's, it's literally this one airline so far, but, but in the flights I've been on, the middle seats are still taken. There's begrudgingly. That's the point. 
So they want people to want to sit in the middle seat? Yes. Interesting. Yeah. Does that work for like getting people to do dishes? <laughs> I don't know. Do you want a Fit B? Mm-mm. What if I give you a prize? Other than a Fit B? The Fit B is a prize in itself. Not for me. <laughs> All right. You ready for a pop minute? Yes. Taylor Swift was in the news last week. Her new album, Midnight's, garnered 1.2 million album units in its first three days, including pre-sales, and she's become Spotify's most streamed artist in a 24-hour period thanks to the new album. Me. That Um, was one of those was me. Side note, apparently she broke another record that I just was thinking of. I think she took all top 10 of Billboard's Hot 100 or like her songs were like in the top 10 or something like that, which has never happened before. Oh, I want to look that up. I want to see if there, there are songs. I like. Um, and she's also going on tour in the eras tour. In the eras tour? Eras. Eras. Yeah. Like eras of her career. What is yeah. she like 23 and she's had eras in her career. She started when she was 15 or 16. Yeah. Maybe th- 14. Yeah. Tears on my guitar was, I think. Yeah. One of her first. I'd like to blow some tears on her belly button. <laughs> Be nice. Sorry. She's one of my favorite artists. All right. So she's one of my favorite artists too. Mm-hmm. So I want to blow tears in her belly button. <laughs> well, every time you walk into my apartment and I've got her playing on, on my Alexa, you're like, are you listening to this again? But I, she could be part of a mix that I have and you just happen to walk in on every time. It's always on one of her songs. I don't know how you do it. I don't either. I'm being punished. There was a bit of controversy or controversy, if you will, over the album due to one of the music videos produced by the singer. The video for the song Antihero stirred up some unhappy thoughts because of a scene where the singer stands on a scale to weigh herself and instead of showing a number, the scale simply says fat. I think it's brilliant, though. Causing some critics to say Swift is fat phobic. Oh the my video God. has since been edited on at least one platform, Apple Music. But people are weighing in on the topic. She's not, okay. Body positivity advocates are chiming in. But Sunny Hostin, co-host of The View, said critics missed the point. Agreed. Swift has stated in previous interviews that she worries about her figure and sometimes unkind comments about her trigger her to stop eating. Correct. She's battled with that for years, but it's more about that everyone's version of what is fat is a different number. That's it, she just left it open to personal interpretation because we all think of. I mean, I know people that can look at a scale and at one forty and think that they're fat, and then I would beg. I mean, I would love to. I mean, like, everyone's version of fat is a different number, so she just left it open for everyone to define for themselves. That's it. Speaking of Taylor Swift. Kanye West was in the news last uh, week. Yeah. Yee Yay was dropped from his deal with Adidas. Is it pronounced Yee like Yeehaw or Yee like ye, or Yay like Yay? I have no idea. Like Kanye. I don't know. Anyway, however you say it, in his anti Semitic remarks, they have come back to haunt him. Adidas reports they will lose an astonishing. $246 million in its fourth quarter sales because of the halt of the Yeezy brand products. Wow. Other companies have been quick to drop Kanye as well. Balenciaga uh-huh. and Vogue have publicly cut ties with the rapper. And CAA, his talent agency, 
has dropped him as a client. Wow. If you're unfamiliar with the controversy, Kanye was seen wearing a White Lives Matter t-shirt, which isn't the worst of it. He went on a Twitter tirade stating he was ready to go, quote, DEFCON 3 on Jewish people. What? The tweets have since been removed by Twitter. You haven't heard about this? He's been going nuts about Jewish people. He keeps saying, like, we need to get all the Jews in a room together, uh, you know, all the Jews in power, and talk to them because they're the ones that are in charge. And the, It's nuts, dude. Like, it is some, like, seriously no. crazy anti-Semitic stuff. No, I I stopped anything I see with Kanye. I didn't realize this was happening. I'm sorry. Um, anything with his name, I just skip right over because I just think it's gonna be trouble. I didn't realize it was it had gotten this bad. That's I have no words. That's just inexcusable. Yep, that's 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 the yee yay. Yay yee. Yeah, he's a douchebag. Absolutely not. You don't treat other people that way. I, I don't. I don't understand where his superiority comes from. There's no reason to be superior. Oh, because super- he's a musical genius. No, he's not. My opinion. I'm sorry. My opinion is no, he's not. And even if he was a musical genius, you still don't have the right to treat other people that way. I don't care. You don't. I don't think he's a musical genius. I was. I was. I know you're being. Isn't that what he says? About I think. Himself? I think he he does. Yes, but it doesn't matter. Even if he was dubbed. A Everyone musical knows genius. that Kanye likes fish sticks. <laughs> you don't have the right to treat other people that way. I don't care. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter our differences. We're all humans. We're all we all deserve to be treated with respect. Every single person, regardless of any other thing. We're all human beings. There's a mutual respect that is demanded and at this point in time, you don't get away with that crap. Like Did you say we're all Cuban beings? No, I said we're all human beings. Oh, human beings. Yes. Oh no! I was just thinking when I was in uh, college, there's a we did the Philadelphia story. Okay. Not to be confused with Philadelphia, the movie starring Tom Hanks. Philadelphia story starring Catherine Hepburn. And oh. The, and the girl that played the, that the lead actress in the play. Mm-hmm. At we would all we always laughed because the very like last line of the play is, it's like how do you feel? And she's like like a Cuban, like a Cuban bean. But she was saying like a human, like a human being. Oh, I got it. I got but it. But she sounded like she was saying Cuban, Cuban bean. <laughs> anyway, stupid. All right. I think that's enough out of me and especially enough out of Rochelle. Definitely. Because you've done most of the talking in this episode. Yeah. So we'll be back. I'll be back. Rochelle will be back. Um, let's check out some new music. Why don't we? Yeah. Cue the music. Oh, wait. No. Just kidding. I'm Blake. And I'm Michelle. And we'll be back. Cue the music. <laughs> 